We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience. Today, talking about the return of the PGA Tour. So hopefully, throwing the show in the can for like a week or two. So hopefully, Colonial's still good to go come June 11th. By So the show just doesn't go to waste. I wouldn't want to have to spend an hour. I mean, I would enjoy talking to Ben and Rick for an hour. However, if we can't record it and put it out, you know, was, were we just yelling into the void? Who knows? few things I do want to let you know right now, though. There's going to be a ton of Pat Mayo experiences coming out every single day, although I'm going to be off for like two and a half weeks or so. I will be back with Jeff and probably these two guys for the start of the Colonial, should it continue to be scheduled on June 11th. Uh, we'll have the full betting breakdown. We'll have the full DraftKings breakdown. It'll be back to normal on the Pat Mayo experience. So thank you, everyone, for sticking around throughout these times. Smash the like button to the episode. And in the comment section, you let me know which player is best positioned to just run train on the field on the first event back. Who, who used the quarantine, do you think, to the best of their abilities to come out scorching? Also, uh, please leave a five-star review after subscribing to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast and just say something nice about the show. I mean, we've been doing shows every single day, despite the fact there are very few sports on the go. You know, we have our MMA stuff, we have our fantasy football stuff, but hey, real golf coming back is something I can actually talk about, which is nice. Also, fantasynational.com will remain open to the public until the first shot of golf is hit. So everyone who's a member already is not being charged until that first golf stroke actually happens and we're keeping the website free and open to people uh, no credit card required you just need an email address if you're watching the show or listening to the show gonna guess you have an email address so i suggest you go check it out i mean we have the masters field loaded in there already if you want to get some early prep on the masters but it's just a good opportunity to go in see how the site works check out all of the tools and just see if it's for you because we've never actually done anything like this at fantasy national so you can just hop in see what it's all about see what the buzz is all about with fantasynational.com so i highly recommend that let's get into the show rick gaiman you have been cranking out golf shows whether it be about whatever the hell's going on in golf right now, which is very little, to be perfectly honest with you. Outlaw Tour, that was fun for like two weeks. Uh, video game simulations, skins matches. It's all covered by you. How you feeling? You feel like this is going to go? Oh, yeah. This is – I'm I'm full steam ahead and uh, very optimistic about the return of the PGA Tour. Like, right or wrong, the, the, the Tour is in a great position to return. If that is your main goal, to get sports back – uh, golf is in a perfect position and the PGA tour is going forward. So, uh, it's going to be a fun couple of, I mean, cause now there's no break Pat. So we're just full steam ahead for a while. Yeah. It's going to be fun when football eventually returns and I'm doing like major week shows plus football week shows. Uh, I may not, I might not make it through it. I'm not going to lie to you. 
Yeah, it's going to be a lot. Luckily for me, my my singular focus is uh, is the golf. So uh, I I am I feel sorry for you already thinking about those those weeks. It'll be a good week for numbers. I'm not going to lie to you about that. Sure. Ben, ben Raza, awesomeo.com is on the line. How have you been filling your void during the no golf? Are you just betting on horses every day? Been betting a lot of horses. Uh, took up some MMA thanks to uh, you know some great content out there. And yeah, I've been playing more poker. So we're coming together light at the end of the tunnel. Like Rick said, I think we're on track to start to get more and more back soccer, Bundesliga, and then the PGA tour back in full swing in less than a month, hopefully. Let's pray. That's how it ends up working. So let's talk about the colonial, not necessarily a breakdown of the field or a breakdown of the course, but how are we going to actually figure out? I mean, we're bad at figuring out who's going to win on a week to week basis anyway. When we have all of the information, how the hell are we going to do anything with these numbers, Rick? Like, do you have to look? Because recent form isn't actually recent form. There's no data calculated before the player mm-hmm. until the player's championship. So it's going to be like three whole months off in terms of recent form numbers, recent results, stats, anything like that. And obviously, one of the big keys to recent form is, hey, this guy has been scorching hot for three weeks in a row. Can he continue that going? Or this guy's been good for two weeks in a row. Let's make it three. Let's use this guy. All of that is out the window. Does that mean we lean more on course history? Or do we just go back longer in time and try to use a baseline sample of what these guys actually do well? Yeah, because we're not going to be able to determine uh, what every guy has been doing and if they've been playing on the mini tours or if they've been hitting 100 balls into a net in their backyard every single day. We don't know what all of them have been up to. So I'm just kind of putting them all on the same playing field. I'm going with long term form. But more importantly, Pat, like I usually try to stay away from chalk in general. Uh, I think this is an opportunity to embrace volatility. Golf is already one of the most volatile sports, one of the most volatile fantasy sports. Now you get a situation where it might take a few rounds for some of the top guys to uh, knock the rust off. I don't really want to be on anybody who is super popular, especially the first week back at Cologne. Yeah, I'm looking at the field right now, at least the tentative field right now, Ben, and like, there's going to be some good names here. But do we gravitate towards those big names or do we think that some of these grinders have just been going? I kind of feel like I'm more on the ladder there of guys that I'm not saying nobody's, but guys who are maybe younger and more apt to to have grinded through this. Whereas I think the big names are are starting to set their sights on what's going to be an awkward schedule leading up to the majors. They're not going to be too concerned. It's kind of like swing season where you you see people come in with different game plans. Some guys are adjusting to things they've been working on in the off season, other guys are looking to rack up as many points immediately and, and kind of put themselves ahead of the game. But like Rick said, I, I echo that completely. The game theory aspect, which is always important in golf because it's super volatile, is just going to be even more heightened because the overreaction, you know, if Rory tweets out on that Wednesday, swing looks good, feel great, his ownership just doubled. Uh, that's the kind of things people are going to be grasping at. And it's all noise to me. So I will be playing a lot of game theory and probably zigging where people zag. Yeah, I mean, you do that in normal week anyway, and it's been very profitable for you. It's how Patrick Reed won you 100K at the Masters two years ago, isn't it? Yeah, that was that was a, a certainly important piece of it. And it's just, you know, of course, do you get burned by it? Usti's the poster boy of that. Of course it has, but you don't have to be right that often. And I think in a situation like this, there's so many more questions than answers long-term this is the way to approach it. Do you think that the baseline stats, like if I went to Fantasy National right now and I sorted by last 100 rounds that a player has played, or even just look at the past two years and try to parse out their numbers that way, do you think that's? Do you think that has any value and any merit this time around? In trying to get at least a sense of who could play well here. What? Who is the best at approach? Who is the best at driving? Who is the best at accuracy? Like, this tends to be more fluid than I think people think. Like, driving distance is not fluid. Guys that drive the ball a mile, unless you're Bryson and get yoked, uh, you're probably going to drive it about the same that you always do. But all of the other skills tend to have a bit more volatility to them. Do you think that there is merit to looking at, like, a baseline number for players? I think so. I mean, like Rick kind of said, you want to get conceptually how good they are, even if it's hard to grasp. Just you want to know on a macro level, how these guys do now, the the fine points and the fine strokes are going to be really tough to fill in, but uh, you know, I'm going to look over the field, see what's what I probably will take a look. And again, this is not a huge deal, but there are certain guys can't lay comes to mind. He he took a lot of long breaks, not three months, but he's a guy who doesn't have to play every week where Sun J M is used to playing literally every week. 
I may look at that and see how do guys structure their schedules normally and who's maybe more apt to, to come into the swing season ready, which this is kind of like that. Rick, how can I put this? Colonial is one of my favorite events of the year because it's a lot like Harbortown, which we're actually going to see if all things follow through the next week where any skill set can kind of win, where you don't need to be a bomber in order to play. In fact, it's probably we saw Rom do really well at Colonial one year by bombing and gouging. But that's really about it. Like Kevin not outran Tony Finau last year on his way to as a 60 to one winner. That was nice. But it was all irons and he didn't lose a bunch off the tee like he normally does. And he had a really hot putter that week and Finau went about it a different way. You think that makes it more complicated knowing that in a lot of fields you can cross off, I don't know, most players in terms of who you think has a legitimate shot to win at these shorter, more historic courses. It feels like it's more wide open. I would agree with that statement. And I don't know if it's more difficult. I actually think it might be better. I I mean, now we don't necessarily have to focus all of our attention and all of our ownership on specific skill sets. You know, we're not playing a 7,700 yard Aaron Hills or something crazy like that. We're getting the opportunity to uh, get any skill set. So you really can take those guys that are 20, 25% owned and find natural pivots off of them, even if they aren't the similar profile of golfer. So I can see it both ways. I think it adds a a level of complexity, but I also think it opens up a lot more pivots for us. It does. What about from a betting perspective, do you think? Because we're going to get, like, I'm just scanning through, like, who's committed to this field already. So I'm going to list off some names here. Uh, And you tell me what this might do to a lot of players. I'll start at the bottom and go to the top just because I've been going through this. Uh, Wolf, Willett, Westwood, Bubba, Van Royen. I'm just going to call it, like, the good players here. Brendan Todd, the Todd father. Spieth, Snedeker, Cam Smith, Webb, Scheffler, Justin Rose, Patrick Reed. Justin Rose has actually won here before. Yep. Uh, Poston and Putnam and Scott Piercy, Victor Perez and C.T. Pan, Ortiz, Ryan Palmer, Norin, uh, Matthew Neesmith, inventor of basketball, defending champion, Kevin Na, Phil Munoz, let's see, Rory, Graham McDowell, Leishman, Tom Lewis, K.H. Lee, Nate Lashley, Kokrak, Brooks, Russell Knox, Kisner, C. Woo! Kim, Kang, Zach Johnson, Dustin Johnson, the jazz man, the sexy jazz man, Sung J. M., Mark Hubba Hubbard, our guy, Charles Howell, Hovland, Hostler, Hoffman, Max Hama, who was like fire coming into it, uh, Ty Hatton, who was the last person to actually win, Scott Harrington, Lonto, Grace, Gooch, Glover, Ricky, Fertelli, Fitzpatrick, English, Duffner, Day, Bryson, Damon, Rafa Cabrera-Beo, Bezenhut, Answer, Byun-Hunan. Like, this field is fucking stacked. It's very stacked. Uh, I I think Ben kind of alluded to this where there's going to be a couple strategies. Uh, Rack up as many FedEx Cup points as you can. I think some guys are just balancing it with uh, knocking rust off or, hey, I finally get to play golf again. I'm going to play Rory mentioned. I think he already said he's going to play the first three events out of the gate. Like he's chomping at the bit. Uh, But I do think it opens up in terms of betting. Yeah. That, that 50, 60, 70 range, which is kind of a, one of my favorite sweet spots. We see a, a disproportionate amount of winners come from that range on the PGA tour in general might even expand it out. to like the 80 to 100 might be much more in play. So uh, I will probably be living there as opposed to uh, betting the top of the, of the board. Yeah. It does seem to me like we're going to get some really good players uh, Ben, at like incredible values for the first event back, or they know the books know that everyone's going to be so gung ho to bet on this. They just kill the value on everybody. Yeah, there, there is that where it may be shaded just across the board in a bad way. But if it's not, a, it's wide open. Um, you know, the, the extra variance, it's going to open up. When you have a talent of that deep, you know, the, the middle of that field, you've got, you know, you were rattling off really good European players who, who are now over here, the Benny Ons of the world, guys like that, that are, we know they can win. They will win eventually, I hope. Uh, and it's not just the, the Rory's and the Roses of the world, but it's just, I still have so many logistical questions on how this is going to work, both from a betting and DFS standpoint with stuff we've just never had to think about before. Well, you hit on the big one, which I hadn't even considered right before we started filming, but over under five and a half withdrawals from this tournament. See, I, I after, at, after it starts. 
So there's a couple of things. One, if they test every guy after every round, and I, I don't know if that's the case, I wonder what's going to happen with that. Two, I wonder if guys will, we see this more in Europe. Like if, if you play the Euro tour in DFS, you wake up and there's a bunch of guys who are just, you know, they, they already quit. Um, I wonder if guys get off to bad starts or not feeling it. If they say, you know what, I'm not adding extra risk out here. I'm done. Uh, I'm not going to make the cut. I had a horrible Thursday. I, I, I quit. I, I'm moving on. I think we're going to see more of that than usual. And it's just something we're going to have to live with. Yeah. What, what do you make of it, Rick? Like maybe it presents an opportunity for showdown uh, in people that aren't paying attention or potentially even some live betting. But I mean, if a player doesn't tee off, I would just worry about not necessarily like we always worry about Jason Day. We always worry about Louie, that type of player. But if someone is kind of out of it after two rounds, like let's say they make the cut, they make the top 65 in ties, but they're last in the field or we see it after three rounds where one guy made the cut and he shot like 80 on Saturday. He's like, fuck this. Like what's the difference at this point? Yeah. I I honestly hadn't even considered the fantasy implications of it until Ben brought it up like three minutes before we started this. Um, So it it does offer, it's going to be interesting because I know the PGA tour is going to want to charter these guys from start to start. So I also think that, and again, pure speculation here that uh, to Ben's point, if you're not playing well, if you don't want to take on the additional risk, and especially if you're not playing the next week and you're just headed home, uh, you might ditch that, that, that PGA charter to the next tournament. Cause you weren't going to be on it anyway. And you might just get out of town and go home for a couple of weeks. Now that's a lot of speculation and trying to figure out what guys schedules are, but it is going to add a wrinkle that we are not going, that we've previously not had to deal with. I, I like the showdown aspect of it. Cause there will be a small percentage of people who roster guys that have, uh, you know, announced that they're not playing. Yeah, I, I don't even know. Like, that threw me for such a wrench, Ben. Thanks, right before we came on air. Like, it, Yeah, it's something I've been thinking about. The showdown is definitely something I think all three of us will be exploring because there's going to be an edge there. And we, and I I, just, and, and we need content. And we need content. Uh, <laughs> both of those are equally true. I just don't I, – I know I already said this, but I, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, Twitter explosions when, oh, this guy, he may have tested positive or – he had, I don't know, are they going to do it? Say you have a fever and you feel completely fine and you want to play. You're in first after 36 holes and they say, no, you're out. Um, that could be, you know, that's going to be a new brutal sweat. I'm not saying this is going to be 40 guys every week, but I also don't think it's going to be zero. And that's something that's going to be a whole new uh, DFS sweat in, in some way or another. But I think that kind of goes back to what you had said previously about, you know, we want to embrace the variance of ownership because it's going to be really difficult to figure out who's going to be in form or who's going to be out of form, who's going to adjust to like, do we, Rick, you would know this. They're not playing with caddies, right? They're playing like with push carts or something. So when the PGA tour comes back, they're going to play with caddies. Okay. Um, Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. The, the recommendation is that, uh, caddies don't touch the clubs or touch anything else. So guys reach into their bag and grab their own club, but they are, they are going to allow caddies. Are they, they have flags and, and rakes in the bunker. Uh, haven't confirmed what's going on with rakes yet. Uh, they might just have people raking bunkers. So caddies won't touch it, but like one guy designated every hole who rakes mm-hmm. the bunker, something like that. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it kind of shakes out. I mean, flag sticks, there are ideally they'd leave them in and that's the recommendation, but you know, there's going to be guys that want to obviously take them out. Um, and when we're kind of like parsing through everything that like, are we going to have shot tracker? I, I'm thinking yes is going to be the answer to that. I, I last again, this changes seemingly daily, but last I heard, yes, there will be uh, for all the events that we would normally see. They'll have the volunteers to do shot tracker. Obviously that can change, but you should be able to, you know, sweat your lineups to, you know, 300 yards to right rough or something like that. I need that. Like <laughs> I'm all about safety. You know, I've been preaching that that's as essential business as we get. We need shot tracker. <laughs> like the guys that I roster are not going to be on TV for obvious reasons. I need to sweat them uh, via shot tracker. So I really hope they get that back. I'm just looking at last year's tournament. I forgot not ended up winning by four strokes. He just like basically made every putt down the stretch. Finau, CT, Pan, Putnam, Blixt, Palmer, Sabatini, Watney, Knox, Jordan Spieth. Like 
you we're not used to seeing like i know rose had won the year previously and like rom had played really well i think both those guys were in the field last year yeah rose came 58th and rom missed the cut like it does seem like if we're going to embrace the volatility of people potentially testing positive for covid or randomly withdrawing or having a fever too high that just going completely off the board and normally when we talk about it from like a DraftKings perspective that we're thinking, you know, if you have like four, not necessarily the four most chalk guys, but four like decently owned players, you just need like a pivot or two. It might be worth going basically five crazy, not necessarily off the board plays, but like if you see that Rom and Patrick Reed are right next to each other, everyone's using Rom, no one is using Reed. Just use Reed and make that the decision you make. Definitely. Yeah, one one of one of my favorite things about Kevin Na, uh, and I've I've mentioned this probably a couple times, but I think this was the end of a 15 event stretch for Kevin Na where he won twice in 15 events. And if you look at other guys on the PGA tour who have won twice in a 15 event stretch, it's the top guys. So when I, when we talk about embracing volatility, like some of these guys are super volatile and can gain a ton of strokes on the field enough to win a golf tournament. Someone else very similarly built uh, like Kevin Na is Kevin Streelman, someone else who can just go nuts in one direction, pop up for a, a top five out of nowhere. Like that's the type of volatility that I want. Some guys are just capable of doing it while others are not. Uh, ben, do you think that the outlaw tour is going to impact ownership at all? for this first event or did too few people end up playing that who I, I don't have any insight on what DraftKings is going to offer for colonial, but like there could be a millionaire maker here. Like we see oh. for the masters. Like I don't see why they wouldn't do that. Cause it will fill. It will easily fill. Um, I think that news in general is going to be over because this is like at the beginning of the year, when you don't have all the tools at your disposal, you're, you're searching for anything and you see on Twitter, Oh, this guy changed his swing and it's all right. Well, can't use him. And, and, and maybe there's something to that, but I think little things like the outlaw tour, just hearing what guys have been doing. If there's some interviews, the press conferences are going to carry more weight than they should. I think everybody is going to be trying to find information because we don't have any. Do you think that will end up leading towards Joel Damon, Kevin Streelman, JJ Spawn, essentially anyone who played in some of these mini tour events and even you know the ones that have happened between the time that we're filming now and the time this is released like if someone ends up showing up to scottsdale and like nate lashley goes lights out like is that it like that guy's just going to be owned i think it, it it will certainly make them more owned than they should be uh how much that's something it's hard to tell it depends you know i i, I do think a lot's going to change um I wouldn't be stunned to see Rory or another big name just say, I'm not playing. Uh, I'm not super comfortable with this. So we'll see at the top end what happens there. But there's no doubt that things like that are going to impact ownership and it's going to make it extremely lucrative to go uh, top 60. You know, it's already really difficult, but the allure of fading the chalk, uh, it's almost going to be overwhelming at that point with all the new variables. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily have the benefit of doing this because I release my show and maybe the pricing will be out. Maybe it'll be out so far in advance that we can kind of get a feel for it. But Rick, I usually do my show before reading anything. Like it's my research only. I come out and say what I end up saying. So I don't really have an idea of where the hive mind, the group think is going to get behind. Uh, I don't really figure that out until Wednesday when I end up doing a show. But like, how can I phrase this? How much more different do you think you should try to be this time around? Like I mentioned before, like, do you want to go five spots of pivots? Do you want to go three spots of pivots to make it an entire contrarian lineup? Like, this is what I'm starting to think about as we get into this process. There, there's different ways to do it. Uh, you know, you could keep your total projected ownership under, I don't know, 75%, right? And just really, just really just avoid those guys that are 20, 25% owned. Or if you really, really need to play Bryson DeChambeau because you saw his, you know, 203 mile an hour exit velocity in his backyard and you have to play him, spend $49,200, get yourself a unique lineup. So there's different ways to go about doing it. I think you should be pretty different. Uh, and I also think that whatever, I think Ben was kind of going down this path, like whatever happens week one, Colonial will like be used as gospel in week yep. two. Like it is going to be like, oh, this guy's the best player on the face of the earth, or he didn't look all that well. I'm not playing him. Like 
consider one week of sample size is going to be like the most important thing and, and keep that in mind for week two. Uh, I have breaking news, which will not be breaking news when people actually end oh, up God. seeing this, but there are two over million dollar prize pools on DraftKings for Colonial. Wow. Wow. There's a $20 That's millionaire great. maker with $1 million the first, 2.5 million plus a seat into the world championship of fantasy golf uh one with 150 entry like your standard millionaire maker but ben this one this one should uh, open your eyes a little bit Two thousand entries 555 million dollars uh in the prize pool 250k to first place yeah uh, uh like the ring of that i will certainly have some some bullets in there and listen the, 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 there's no doubt the appeal is going to be there but it, it's just boy, it's so hard. Cause I don't want to say, Pat, the question you've asked is what I've been thinking of. I don't think you want to overhaul everything you do. If you play P, you know, PGA DFS, this is not completely new, but I also don't think you want to build straight up. Um, what that means. I think it's pretty nuanced. And like Rick said, after even for showdown, just take what happened Thursday, everyone that played good, I, I think is almost an automatic fade. Honestly, the ownerships are going to be ridiculous after just 18 holes because uh, everyone is going to be grasping at the same data. That's not a terrible idea for showdown in general. Like uh, I know, yeah, there's something to that. I, I know that like a lot of people, like they'll play their showdown lineup, which is generally just whatever lineup they end up building, or if they can make it fit on day one, maybe they'll T stack, whatever it might be. But if those guys play poorly, that maybe the best way to go about it is to take the chalky guys at the beginning of the tournament for the, like, the overall tournament don't play round one showdown bet some first round leaders that's always fun that's that's like more profitable for me anyway but for round two yes look at the stats and using fantasy national i mean by that time if we're into round two you're probably gonna have to pay at that point but that information super valuable by the way who was good ball striking who had a round that was too hot putting the the general stuff that we do for showdown contest in strategy but if you have some of these chalky guys let's say rory's a bad example because rory's rory's going to be popular anyways let's say it's like leishman for example, Leishman ends up at like 22% ownership in the all four round contest because he's a good value or something like that. I don't know what the pricing is at this moment, but he has like a bad round one. He has like a plus three round one. We know where his baseline skill set rests. We know that he's a good player, but in round two showdown, even if the stats do support him, don't support him, whatever, no one's going to use that guy because he had a bad round one, but everyone liked him coming into the week. Like that's usually a good time to get back on someone for showdown. For sure. And I think people don't, you're, you're leveraging it up, which is good. Leishman has to attack even more because he's so far behind for him to make the cut. He needs streaks. He needs birdies more than a guy who's already solidified and is thinking 18 holes. I breeze into the weekend and then my tournament starts. He's thinking I have 18 holes to make the cut. Uh, or he's thinking what Rick said earlier, I'm getting out of here and he's not even going to play Friday, but you can't worry about that right now. Uh, So you actually sometimes want to go for guys that are in pure attack mode on Friday. So I'm looking at the past 50 rounds, although no one has 50 rounds at Colonial. Some of them have like 28. Some of them have four, depending on what it might be. Rick, who do you think are inside the top 10 of birdies or better gained against the field at Colonial only? Uh, Oh, God. Just just over the past, uh, there's a few names in here that are like, I think I brought them all up when we read through the field. Kevin Nah. He's number two in 22 (laughs) rounds. Justin Rose went nuclear one year. No, it's not Justin Rose. Rose is, let's see, he's 20th amongst all PGA Tour players at Colonial, so not just specifically the field. Ben, you got any hot hot takes on who it could be? Spieth. Spieth is number one. There you go. What do we do with that guy? I I mean, there's two schools of thought. If there's someone who needed a break, uh, who needed a, a hard reset, he'd probably be at the top of the list. So you could you could say, man. Maybe he found some things on the flip side of that. I don't know if you can fix some of those issues right now. I have no idea. If he's low-owned, I'm sure I'll get over the field. If he's popular, which would be stunning, uh, won't be on that train for sure. So Spieth, number one, and birdies are better gained uh, of all players currently on the PGA Tour at Colonial in 28 rounds. Nah, second in 22 rounds. And again, this is a average stats so just because you play a lot of rounds doesn't necessarily it's it's not a cumulative stat put it that way it's right. not aggregating over time so this is per round average uh john rom 10 rounds third brooks four rounds he's fourth snediger charlie hoffman the king of texas as he once was putnam kisner 
forgot Kisner won this event too before. Harris English, Jason Duffner, Josh Teeter. All guys who are in the field are the top 10 of players and birdies are better gained. I mean, that's it's I, I know it's a weird thing and it's all relative sometimes depending on who's in the strength of the field. That's not adjusted for. But Rick, for DraftKings scoring, I feel like that and Eagles gained are just two things that are overlooked. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're your big time scorers. Uh, the, the, that along with trying to figure out, uh, this sounds weird. Like you're not trying to find the six guys who are going to finish highly in the golf tournament, which I understand usually correlates to success, but you want the guys who are going to uh, rank highly in DraftKings points. And the way to get DraftKings points is birdies and eagles. They are disproportionately rewarded. So yes, uh, certainly at a place where they're, they're gettable, right? Like low scores are out there uh, like colonial, like, yeah, like let's, let's fire up birdie makers and guys that can uh, potentially get down in, in three shots on a par five. Yeah, I, I do you find that's overlooked, Ben, when it when it comes down to this? I think that kind of it's funny. I, I see it exactly the same way, and I just tell myself I look at it differently. But even though I arrive at the same spot as Rick, in the sense that if I could get if I could predict who's coming <laughs> one through six, of course that's what I'm doing. But you want to give yourself multiple outs. If your guy crashes the leaderboard, you're going to be just fine. If he doesn't, if he's a volatile scorer, you can still get there. Whereas there are some golfers, if they don't crack the top 10, you know they're going to get outscored by additional guys on top of their finishing. So it's just about giving yourself kind of extra outs. There's been a million teams over the years where I have, you know, a really good core and I have one guy who's not up there, but he scored so well, I got bailed out. Um, And then on the flip side, I've had teams where I've had one missing link and the guy actually played better than he scored and you're you're punished for that so you just really want to embrace that more than i think people do yeah a lot of that has to correlate with both really long basically fairway wood approach and driving distance that's just inherently going to be easier in terms of like eagles gained at least but like morikawa is he can come 30th in a tournament bubba used to be like this too like but morikawa this season in terms of like eagle creation is off the charts good he hits his, hits his long irons so well. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's not particularly long off the tee. He's fine. He's going to hit every single fairway, which gives him an opportunity to pull out three iron and just try to hit it to 25 feet. And he does that enough times where he rolls it in enough. It's really like he's not necessarily the profile of golfer you would expect to be piling up birdie or uh, eagles excuse me but he gets it done because he's always in the short grass and he just is unbelievable with his long irons it's funny i'm looking back just scrolling through the past three years on fantasy national to see which stats correlate off the tee at least like in my mind to be like oh the guys who hit the most fairways are definitely going to win at colonial because you know it's hard to hit fairways uh at this course it's really tight it's tree line if you veer off a little bit you can get stuck behind a tree and you're done but Looking back at the last two years, driving distance is really a big one in terms of the top 10 of the leaderboard. Like two years ago, Tway, Brooks, Rom were one, two, three in driving distance for the week. That was fifth, sixth, and fifth. Justin Rose was ninth that week. Uh, he was first. Only Grayson Murray of the top 20 in driving distance missed the cut. So maybe this is a maybe that's an approach to think about because I do feel like when we get to some of these tighter courses, people over-index uh, either fairways gained, which is the fantasy national stat, or if they go look up driving accuracy, that maybe that's the pivot you can make. Just play an all bombers lineup. I I mean, Rom is kind of the the poster child for bucking these trends. There's been multiple courses where he's just been like, no, I'm not going to adhere to clubbing down. I'm just going to play how I play. He's starting to show that that can be effective. Uh, It's certainly a course like this. It brings in guys that would need a prerequisite like, you know, these courses that are so long where you, you have to be aggressive off the tee, you can do it multiple ways. But I do think people kind of think driving distance is bad when it's never bad. It's just not as important here. Uh, Rick, should we just bet Bryson? Is that the move? Uh, I am so bullish on Bryson. Uh, yes. I mean, I probably don't want him in fantasy because everybody's going to have him, but he will get my first outright click like every week as we come back. The guy is playing Justin Bieber songs on Instagram to his undressed body. He's feeling himself. He's jacked. He is breaking his hitting net. Like, yes, 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 Bryson. Uh, top 10 in terms of Eagles gained, by the way, for the the last 50 rounds overall before the break. Scott Stallings, Morikawa, Scotty Scheffler, maybe finally gets his first win in Texas. List Burns, Mr. Burns, Cameron Davis, Seamus Power, 
Fabian Gomez, Rory, Nate Lashley, which is just crazy, isn't it? How the hell is Nate Lashley making so many Eagles? He even made a couple of Eagles on the Outlaw Tour, Rick. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, he was a uh, pretty hot fire in round one uh, on the Outlaw Tour the other day, but I don't know how he does that. Is it just, I, I have no idea. I don't have a, an explanation. Well, some of these like birdie or better and like looking over 50 rounds tells a little bit of a different story. But Ben, like putting is a part of this too. Like if you just get a scorching hot putter for 50 rounds and you're probably going to make more Eagles because you're making those putts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Denny McCarthy, if he's on the green putting for Eagle, it's an Eagle. So there are different ways to do it where where do you think denny mccarthy of pga tour players ranks in eagles gain versus the field over the past 50 rounds i have no idea give me give me a guess there's uh, i'll tell you how many people yeah out of 241 players i'll say he's 39th 39th rick where do you think he is oh i thought i i i ben thought he nailed the number all right (laughs) i'm ending the show uh i bet you i think he's way down i think he's like 200 he is 199th yeah so rick went over ben you win price is yeah, right, price right. Is right baby. <laughs> wow. but like he's just never on in two is the problem yeah. no of course not he's well he's a whole different but i i just figured if denny mccarthy made a bunch of eagles we would have known about it like like that was my thought process on that, that i bet guy i bet you birdie or better gained he's actually quite good yeah, he's thirteen. He's thirteenth in birdies or better gain, but one ninety ninth in eagles, and he's eleventh in birdies gain because he makes so many of these goddamn putts. Yeah, he just can't. He can't get there in two. So I guess it makes sense. Is he a good DraftKings player or a bad DraftKings player? I can't wrap my mind around it. I actually think that he was really good for a while when people like me and you were shitting on him because he just putted the lights out. Like it became a thing where he was just going to do it every week and no one who actually used stats or anything like that wanted to get behind it because if it went away, he would just be God awful, but he kept being good. But then it got to the point where he was like pretty good at a cheap price for so long. He's like 10% owned every week. I mean, he literally loses like in every other category (laughs) except putting. So, but he's the best putter on the, on the planet. Yeah. He just never gets into anybody who has a model or anybody who looks at stats or anybody who, who kind of does it the way we do. He never gets into our lineups. Um, I, I, I still probably think he's a, he's a bad play. I I think that uh, even if you are, and what we've seen, even if you are the best putter in the world for multiple years at a time, uh, it it eventually goes away. Uh, Yeah. What do you make of it, Ben? It's just, you can't, start gaining like eight strokes off the tee randomly. Whereas the bad putters, even though it's not going to happen often, they could in theory have a tournament where they get hot with the putter. Nobody does it the other way. You don't just randomly start bombing the ball. Uh, and that's the difference. Yeah. I have a stat on this. Yeah. Uh, is yeah. it, is this the Graham McDowell stat? Yes. This let's, is the Graham McDowell stat. Let's hear it. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but it's essentially this, that uh, a, a bad putter is twice as likely to finish in the top 20 of putting for that week than a bad off the tee or approach player is to finish in the top 20 off the tee or approach. So a bad putter does it about 16% of the time. A a bad player in some of those other stats does it about 8% of the time. So that's why hashtag team no putt baby. I wonder like that's over the course of a tournament, right? Yes, it is at the end of the week where they ranked for the week. Yes. What would you make of it if it was round to round? Do you think that becomes um, a bigger gap? Because I would imagine it would. Yeah. Yes, I, I think it is a much bigger gap because we because I mean, we even see the best putters in the world, uh, you know, lose three strokes putting. And it kind of goes the other way too. Keegan gains two and a half in a single round and he gives it back over the course of the next couple of days. So round by round, I imagine it's an even bigger number. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk baseline numbers for a second. Uh, and who players that maybe we forgot are good at certain things or not. Approach players. Approach is the most important stat, bar none. Unless, someone, unless you can accurately predict when someone's going to have a good putting week or not. Approach is where we want to go with this. Ben, the top 10 approach players per strokes gained over their last 100 rounds on the PGA Tour. We'll go back and forth. Ben, starting with you, you got to give me guys inside the top 10. Do they have to be in this field? No, just overall. Um, Cantlay? Cantlay is number six. Rick. <laughs> right, uh, Morikawa. Morikawa is number four. Ben. 
Rory. Rory is not. Rory McElroy. Maybe I'm just Come missing on, Rory's. Rory? I thought Rory's in the top of every step. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, would, I would have said Rory next. All right. I'm sorry. He is 10th. So you actually are oh, correct okay. on that. Rick. Okay. Uh, Webb? Webb oh, Simpson is 14th in that number. Oh, kick him off the door. Yeah, he sucks. Uh, watch out for him at Harbortown the following week. Just going to win. Yeah. Because uh, he's just always in contention there anyway. And now he's just way better than before. Ben, do you know? can you think of anyone else who might be up there? Scott? Yeah, Scott's number seven. Rick? Um, how about PGA Tour 2K21 cover boy <laughs> Justin Thomas? He is number oh. two in this yeah, number. Yeah, forgot about him. So the, guy, so the guys that we missed out here, Stenson's actually first over the last 100 rounds. Oh, Ti- okay. Tiger is three. Hideki oh, is five. Casey is eight. Woodland, nine. Rory, ten. Who do you think the worst player is to like, have an unusually good ranking? The worst player usually good ranking. ranking. Yeah, like a player that you'd be like, oh, that guy's inside the top 20? Like, that's weird. Oh. Um, Bill Haas. Bill Haas would be a good one. I, I would have said, like, yeah, I would have said, like, not, I know it's not Scott Piercy, but someone down near, like, the 100th ranked player in the world. Russell Knox is actually 11th, and Furyk is 12th. Wow. That's a that yeah. surprise. Like Grio's up, obviously Grio's up there. Oh. Connors is inside the top fifteen. Coke yeah. Rack, uh, like Cameron Tringali <sighs> is twenty first. Like it's kind of weird. And then like the rest of the players are all just really good. Yeah, what are they doing with the rest of their game? Because that's like the most important stat, and you're good at it, so you must be really bad at the other aspects. Well, oh. the fu- the funny thing about Grio is like. The modeling likes him, but it's not just because people discount putting. They also discount short game a lot, and he sucks at both. So on tour over the past 100 rounds, Grio is 228th in putting and 229th in around the green. I yeah. know. Yeah, I'm there. <laughs> exactly. And, and Ben uses him every week. Every week. Uh, and it's, believe me, it's true. There have been weeks where he's actually putted okay, but he left it in the bunker four times, so it doesn't matter that he made a six foot for double. Um, yeah. I, listen, those guys, they're always, they're going to stand out when, especially if you're using models and things, because they, they pop, they have the best stat with approach, which is the most important stat. You always rationalize it as if they have a good putting week. And that is true. We've seen guys pop for a week with putting and they can win a tournament like that. But when they don't, or the other game is so weak, you, you see what happens, and Grio's a perfect example of a guy who's really struggling. Hey, it's funny, because another player who's almost like, there's two players in that exact same ilk who rank inside the top 20 in terms of approach. There's actually four who are like bad on the greens and bad around the greens. Woodland is actually one of them, 170th and 161. Guy wins the U.S. Open by chipping everything in and making every 60-foot putt. Sometimes it just happens. Corey Connors is another one like that, 222nd yeah. around the green, 236th uh, putting. He's 7th off the tee and 13th in approach. And when we saw when he won in, was it Valero last year, yep. like he gained like 15 strokes putting that week. Yeah, which is which is craziness. I I would imagine. Uh, I I think if you know you stink at just one thing, uh, you've been spending the last three months doing only that. Like if I was Corey Connors, I would just be rolling balls on the green and around the green nonstop, getting ready for this. Uh, when I was at the Barclays last year and watching the practice round, I got to see all the players on the putting greens, and I saw Corey Connors. He was on the putting green for like two straight hours. I don't think he made a single putt. <laughs> yeah he, he i guess that's uh, by this point in his career he knows that's not a, a strength of his he still just can't figure it out okay yeah, they've got to be like at that point i think maybe practice actually is just reinforcing a bad habit like the goal's got to be to stripe strip it down and and rebuild it i don't think it's a work ethic thing i hope it's not that's the only thing you should be doing all day yeah but maybe it just doesn't stick for some people i guess that that would be the thing i guess yeah um it's pretty bad. I, God, you, I don't think they should be great putters, but I, I find it hard sometimes to see a guy struggle so severe. Putting, I get. Chipping, I don't know. Maybe they're both mental. Um, it's just some of the, the short game stuff is, is so weak for some of these guys. Justin Hadley. Um, <laughs> but it, it can be bad. Well, I would, I would wager that putting has a much easier chance to turn itself around than around the Greenwood, wouldn't you say, Ben? 
Yes. I mean, Webb has, is talking about a poster boy. Um, he has shown that. And listen, I mean, these guys are all incredible and it's not, it's not to say anything like that. It's just some of them have such a glaring weakness that if they could just patch that, they would take multiple leaps in terms of a tier of where they fall. Yeah. And I think that's going to be really important for the heritage. Cause that's always one thing I really hammer down on Rick is that you don't really need to be good around the green player at Harbor town because everyone hits greens and regulation. Yeah, doesn't matter. Um, if you're getting, if you're having to get up and down for par, you're you're probably in trouble. So go out there, uh, throw some darts, roll some putts in. Whoever starts making thirty footers, they'll they'll. Uh, I was gonna say raise the trophy, but it's actually like a like a jacket, right? Yeah, I, there's a jacket for this one too. It's it's the plaid jacket series, back to back weeks right. now. Oh, this is this is good stuff, guys. Adding, uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I can't remember the specific term for it, but it's a very specific type of plaid. It is a tartan jacket. Tartan. Thank you very much. Adding it to the wardrobe. I love it. I'm trying Wasn't to think. Brian won one of those. What's that? Yeah. yeah. Well, when was Brian win? Yeah, when, he won when the heritage. Yeah, he won the heritage like two years ago, three years yeah. ago. Now we've been doing. I remember this for him putting on the jacket. I'm trying to think of all the players that have actually won the slam, the tartan slam. I I think it's just Boo Weekly. Oh, well, wow. company, a man amongst himself. It's funny because those two cor- courses really correlate well with each other. Like w- whenever we talk about, hey, these are the corollary courses and they always happen at different points of the schedule. And usually they're weaker fields. So that throws a wrench into all course history. I think at Colonial anyway, when we kind of round about that with how strong this field is going to be. Most of these guys just never play this tournament. So are you going to be like, well, Rory can't win. Rory's never played here before. It's like, well. You might want to backpedal on that stance a little bit. I, I'm sure, yeah, Brendan Todd's been really good at this tournament over the years. think I still might take Rory over him, all things being equal. But Harbortown, Colonial, really kind of hinge on the same one along with Sony Open and the Wyndham. Those are four courses where you tend to see very similar leaderboards. And it's usually shorter hitter skill set. Guys like Kisner plays these courses all really well. Same with Snedeker. Yeah, Rory's going to show up on Tuesday and be like, oh, I've never seen this course before, but looks just fine to me. Let me just take it over the trees over there. Let me pop a wedge to, to six feet and let me roll this in uh, and get the hell out of here. Yeah, that's no, no problem without course history for that guy. That's... When do you think that we'll see Tiger? Do you think it's going to be the PGA Championship or do you think he goes in for Memorial? Let's look at the schedule here. So, because we, um, we go this, then Harbor Town, then we have like the Northeast swing. It's like yeah. Travelers, which just lock in Bubba for that one if he if he's gonna mm-hmm. play. Then it's like Detroit, John Deere, three M, and then it's Memorial. I think. I think it's Memorial. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's Memorial because he's probably going to gear up because then there's a bunch of stuff, um, you know, towards obviously towards the end of the year with the way that they've repositioned both Ryder Cup and the U.S. Open that he would uh, ideally want to be prepared for. So I think he extends his break, starts it, starts it Memorial and sees, sees how it goes. Yeah, so we'll go. Let's see here. Charles Schwab. No Canadian Open. Shout out. That would, that would have been like 10 minutes from where I live. It would have been great. Uh, now it's never coming back to St. George's, or I might not live here at that moment. Uh, Heritage, Travelers, Rocket Mortgage, John Deere, the Barbasol is canceled. Yeah, it's Memorial, then the 3M. So we probably see him then. Then there's a WGC, and then it's the PGA Championship, I believe. No. Let's see. Yeah, that's right. Because they uh, that there would have been the week in between there that had the Olympics. The Olympics, right? yeah. So it's back to back week. So I I would wager that there's going to be a lot of people to kind of pass on that WGC. Because then it would be three straight, right? Uh, it would be well, no, because then the Wyndham would be the following week. So I guess unless you had to qualify for the FedEx Cup playoffs, then you'd probably take a pass on the Wyndham. But I mean, if you ha- put it this way, if you don't have enough FedEx Cup points after playing a WGC, then you probably don't deserve to be in the playoffs. Yeah. What does it mean for tour cards? Ooh. That is a whole thing. Rick, I think you and I talked about this before. Like, it's really weird. Yeah. So uh, if you have your PGA Tour status this year, you won't lose it. That's the PGA Tour doing good by their players. It's going to impact the corn fairy guys, there's not going to be the 25 that get their cards at the end of the year. The top 10 will have the ability to play some of the alternate events on the PGA tour next year. So like Barbasol and bear that are opposite of your main WGCs, but even some of the top 10 corn fairy guys might not want to do that. So it basically all of the guys who have their tour card now, 
you're basically a year probably behind it. Well, let me throw this out here to you, Ben. The U.S. Open, which is by you, maybe if the border opens up, come down, everything's reopened. Everything will just be gravy. We can go watch that together. But that's at Wingfoot. That's on September 17th. The Safeway Open is in Napa on September 10th. And as Rick has pointed out to me before, that if someone does test positive for COVID or they're around someone who does, they're going to have to, like, self-isolate for two weeks. Therefore, no one is playing the Safeway in fear of missing the U.S. Open. And... We might even see that with the BMW championship too. Like there's little weird soft spots in the schedule where in case you do test positive or around someone who does test positive, you don't want to miss out on playing the PGA championship, the tour championship, the U S open or the masters. Absolutely. These are these, this is what I'm talking about. The variants and things that we haven't thought about uh, of will guys actually position themselves to maybe not have to add in that risk. Cause what a killer that would be. Um, if, if something like that happened and then you can't play in the major. And, and you know what? It's, it's going to take one guy uh, in, in the same way that a lot of guys uh, did opted to not go down for, with Zika virus for the Olympics. It's going to be like Rory to be like out of an abundance of caution. I'm going to sit at home for two weeks and then I'm going to go play this big event. Then I think you start seeing the, uh, the snowball effect and a, bu- a bunch of other guys go, oh, that's a pretty good idea. I'm going to do the same thing. Yeah, well, I mean, that's essentially what happened at the Players' Championship. They were going to play the second round until Rory was like, nope, and then they just kind of crumbled. It's funny that Rory has really become the mouthpiece of all this. He has really grown, and uh, every every time, yeah, he is the de facto, there is not a union, but he is the de facto player's representative. Uh, he's been very outspoken on social and, and, and all types of issues, and yeah, I completely agree. The pressure that mounted from, I mean, they were literally announcing you, there will be no fans tomorrow as they were letting fans in on Thursday at the Players' Championship. There was no, uh, they were not stopping that event until Rory said, we have to stop playing golf. So yeah, he's the captain. Yeah. Fine. Do you think the Ryder, the Ryder cup's going to go? Do you think there'll be fans there, Ben? I don't think the Ryder cup is going to go. Oh, really? Um, they, no. they, you think it, that they won't do it without fans? Yeah. I don't think you're going to be able to have fans. And I think that the, the players are going to sour really quickly on that aspect without fans. It, it, it's an event made for fans. It's one of the only ones that I think are, it's going to be severely impacted and, I also think that they may at that time have more problems with this whole fiasco. So uh, I don't think the Ryder cup will be held now. Well, do we think Rick, that there's going to be any inherent advantages or disadvantages without having fans around? Like I actually don't know how that's going to play out, but they don't build grandstands and you know, Ryan Palmer can't bank it off the grandstands and get on the green. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know about that. I will say um, if you don't get a Ryder Cup, uh, the European tour might cease to exist. And that is only a small exaggeration because they need that revenue from the Ryder Cup in a big way and not necessarily just the gate, but the sponsorships and everything else that goes into it. So uh, the European tour might be pushing a lot of these guys to consider playing in the Ryder Cup with or without fans. Is that true, even if it's in America? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure because they get it the way that the, the revenue works, uh, they, they, they build four year budgets and it basically runs around two Ryder cups is their big, I mean, they lose money every other year. Ryder cup years are the only years that they make money. So, um, I, I don't know, obviously it's, there's a lot of sponsorships and other things that go along into it, along with the split. I don't know about how it's, if it's a, a different split, depending on where it's at, but the, the European tour needs that Ryder cup cash. All right. You guys got any final thoughts on anything you want to add? Ben, start with you. No, listen, uh, I think it's going to be an unknown, and that's a good thing for a DFS perspective. We're all going to be playing catch-up one way or another. If you can be early uh, to something, I don't know what the answer is, but if you find a wrinkle that you think is being underutilized, try to attack it early, because if you're early to it and quick to it, you can get ahead of the field before everyone plays catch-up. And I think this whole hiatus is going to present that opportunity so looking forward to it yeah i I completely agree with ben on that rick just embrace the variance embrace the unknown uh just realize that you're not going to know like i mentioned off the top you don't know much anyway what you think you know going into it but we're going to know even less this time around 
Yeah, and uh, non-fantasy and non-betting uh, wise, you know, the PGA Tour has a responsibility to get this right as one of the first tours back. So you should be rooting for their success. It might help other sports to come back. Uh, embrace the weird. Uh, if your if your guy withdraws, don't tweet at him. Uh, don't say how dare you think about your family and friends and this virus. Like. It's all going to be okay. At least we're going to get some live golf. Let's just make the best out of it. Uh, before we get out of here, I'm going to give you the players the most strokes gained total at Colonial in their careers. Not sure exactly if everyone's playing in the field or not, but you can find all of this on fantasynational.com, which is free right now to go check out. So just insert your email, no credit card needed, and charges won't reapply again until the first stroke is actually hit. Or maybe it'll just be Thursday that it shuts down. If, you know, if golf is good to come back, that'll be the first day that people get charged again. That's the site time that the site goes back behind the paywall once people are paying dues. can't be free for everyone, but if it's going to be free for everyone, it should be free for everyone. So a great time to go check it out. The players most strokes gained in their career per round at the Colonial, just maybe guys that you can figure out here, just maybe know the course a little bit. Spieth, Na, Kucher, Webb, Chris Kirk, Harris English, Kevin Kisner, Emiliano Grillo, Danny Lee, Justin Rose, Jason Duffner, Brooks Kepka, John Rahm, Charlie Hoffman, Ryan Palmer, who is a member at Colonial, if people want to know that, Russell Knox. I guess that's the last thing that I'll throw out to you. Based off these numbers, I think that Russell Knox is somehow going to win this tournament, uh, which is never great for my bankroll. But Ryan Palmer is a member here, and he's talked a lot about how the course always looks a little bit differently than what he's used to, and that's, well, he's played well here. He hasn't really broken through, Rick. Do you think without the grandstands and the people there that that might actually play to his favor? Yes, uh, this is this is the soundbite we talk about a lot where Ryan Palmer shows up at a course that he's very comfortable with and looks around and is like, oh my gosh, it doesn't look anything like when I play here. Well, now it will. Uh, no fans, no grandstands. It's going to be like hanging with your buddies out there in, in, uh, in a three ball. I, I do think... If it, if it was a mental hurdle before uh, looking at the course with grandstands, this is certainly a much better situation for him. Yeah, Ben, what do you make of that? I think there's something to that. I think there's something to generally will drivers that spray a little more be punished because you know how many drives hit people and hit stuff and stop? Uh, is the ball just going to be rolling wildly? Are balls going to get lost? Because instead of having 500 people saying it went right here, you have three guys out there that say, I think it went over there. Uh, huh. Is there going to be more penalties? That, uh, I think that's something to consider. That's super interesting. Cause I was, I went through all the numbers that showed like bombers do like actually rate out far better here than you'd expect. Maybe that's a reason to go back the other way and go with the accuracy guys. I wouldn't be stunned in the first tournament back. If there's a couple guys that have a phantom penalty simply because they could not find the ball that they easily would have found under normal conditions. Well, this is all stuff. I'm going to have you guys back on to break down once we're closer to the actual tournament. This was fun. This was like actually talking about a golf tournament again. I I couldn't be more. Feels great. Couldn't be happier right now. It's coming. It's here. I'm going to win a million bucks. I hope you do. Thank you. I'll give you some. (laughs) Thank you. I'll check whatever, whatever you played in entries. I'll give you your entries back. How about that? Perfect. I'll max it then. Yeah. Yeah, But what if I don't win? (laughs) That's all right. Now you know it's a lock. Yeah. Well, I'm just trying to think of like outright bets. Uh, We obviously don't know the odds. I'm kind of with you. I think I'm just going to smash Bryson and smash Sungjae. The first two back. And maybe Ryan Palmer and Russell Knox. Maybe those will be my four. Don't need to do any more information on it. Your, your card is done. You'll have that sweet baby swag. You're definitely going to win it. Yeah, first tournament back from baby swag, Ben. Maybe you should be following me for the Colonial. I might have to tell this. I think uh, all the chips are, are falling where they, where they should be here. I, I think we're poised for a big return to golf. What uh, Rory's going to inevitably be the favorite at this tournament, or maybe Dustin. Maybe if they, uh, we, we don't know the results of the Dustin and Rory versus Fowler and Wolf, but if they win that, then obviously they're favorites. Great recent form coming into this tournament. What do you think that their odds are going to be, Rick? Is it like five to one? Like this field is strong, so it might be like eight to one. Yeah, eight, eight was my first thought, especially because it's, you know, the five to ones are really reserved for like one stud in a pretty weak field. I don't think that's what we have. I think we've got a pretty deep field, some bigger names at the top, a couple of top 10 guys. I think you're probably looking Rory at eight to one. What do you think, Ben? I was, my, the number I had in my mind was six. Uh, for He's just, 
even when he's not there, he's there. It seems like, you know, he, he's almost minus money for, for a top five finish these days. And that's something we haven't seen too often. So I, certainly sub 10 to one. I think that's a pretty much guarantee. What do you think Bryson's going to end up being? Because I can see him sneaking in just because I can't figure out if people like Bryson or hate Bryson because it feels like people hate Bryson. But everyone I talk to, including myself, loves Bryson. So it's a really tricky spot to be in. But do you think we get over under 20 to one, Ben? I'd say under in my mind, just based on nothing. I was thinking like 16, 18 to one Rick. Yeah, I would certainly think under, I was in the 14 range. I mean, maybe I'm biased because I really like him and I think he's great and he's breaking the game, but I think it's definitely under, if we get him over 20, I'll bet it all. Well, the, the, I was thinking like initially 16 to one that I started to remember all the other players that are in this field. Like we have Brooks here, like, what are they going to make Brooks? Like, I guess they had been making him like 40 to one. He's a really curious case. Him and Spieth, I think, are the two most curious cases coming out of this break. And Rose, and Rose is probably the third. Yeah, guys that were struggling like that, you could throw Day, even though he's got injuries, so it's kind of different. But can you buy early? Is it buying early? Is everyone going to have that same mindset? Those are the type of questions I think if you can get the right answers to it, you could be right. way ahead of the game. That'll do it. On the Pat Mayo Experience, you can follow Ben. You can follow Rick. You can find everything in the description of this video and or podcast. And me, at the PME, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Smash the like. Always do that. Leave a five-star review. Always do that. And go test out FantasyNational.com right now. is free. Why wouldn't you go try that out if you've ever thought about getting into this? And listen, there's going to be a lot of buzz for the Colonial, lineup generator, stat projections, everything you can want. When we get closer, everything will be loaded in there as well. So go check out fantasynational.com. I'm Pat Mayo. Thank you all for watching. I'll see you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.